0: Mr. Falcon, you picked a hell of a day for a visit. Uh, uh, General, what you see on these screens up here is a fantasy, a computer-enhanced hallucination. Those blips are not real missiles, they're phantoms. Jack, there's nothing to indicate a simulation at all. Everything's working perfectly. But does it make any sense? Does what make any sense? That. Look, I don't have time for a conversation right now. General. General. Are you prepared to destroy the enemy? You betcha! Do you think they know that? I believe we've made that clear enough. Then don't. Tell the president to write out the attack. Sir, they need a decision. General, do you really believe that the enemy would attack without provocation, using so many missiles, bombers, and subs, so that we would have no choice but to totally annihilate them? General, you are listening to a machine... Do the world a favor and don't act like one.
1: Episode 60 of the Cult of Matt Mark, Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to visit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at com. So this is the big 60, man. Diamond Anniversary.
2: Oh, is Diamond Anniversary is 60? I thought it was 75. No, man. The,
1: the Queen Elizabeth QE2 just had her Diamond Jubilee, which was 60 years of uh, reign. So.
2: Oh, boy. She still looks pretty good for her. 60 years as queen.
1: I read some story today that she has uh, the trots, as the U.K. press put it. She uh, the, suffering from she, some gastroenteritis or gastro, I think I'm missing antiritis? a syllable there. Andritus. I thought the trots
2: just meant diarrhea. Diarrhea. Well, that's Cha-cha-cha. how it
1: manifests. That's how it
2: manifests. Oh. Yeah. But so the trots she's, refers to something more than just like uh, the Hershey squirts, as my uh, <laughs> mentally disabled uncle likes to say.
1: <laughs> the Hershey squirts, yeah. I like the, the Hershey squirts the the green apple quick step, you know, whatever. Sliding yeah.
2: into the home and your pants are full of foam diarrhea. <laughs> that's <right. laughs> oh, that's still one of, of my lines. that's still one of my favorite uh that's still one of my favorite jokes. You know, whenever anybody complains about bad humor or simplistic humor, I go, "Can we not all agree that farts are funny?"
1: Um, are they always funny? They always. are always
2: funny. I, there's no there's no there's no fart that's not funny.
1: But embarrassing at the same time right yeah
2: it's just funny on so many levels
1: and uh, it's a good thing women don't fart because that would just be I don't know if I could take that kind of world you know oh really mm. no no it's a good thing they don't that's all I'm saying yeah you live
2: you, you, you found some uh, exceptional women
1: what you're saying? But that do? really
2: limit that really limits some of your sex play options. You know, you've never. All right. Uh, okay. Play.
1: I don't even want to think about that anymore. All right, we're moving on to the movie. On that note, uh, so this Short week, play. <laughs> this week, our film is uh, War Games, released in 1983, starring uh, Matthew Broderick and uh-huh. uh, who else is in it? Oh, uh, Ali Sheedy, of course. Ali Sheedy's good. in it. Uh, Dabney Coleman, who kind of went off the radar for, I don't know, it seems like 10 to 15 years. but
2: uh, Yeah, he's really good. I enjoyed him as uh, McKittrick. I thought he did a pretty good job. John Wood I don't remember seeing anywhere before, but I thought he did a pretty good job as Falcon. And, and uh, I always love Barry Corbin.
1: Yeah, he played uh, who in Northern Exposure? I
2: forget the guy. Uh, name. The ex, uh, Oh, what was the name of the guy? But he was an ex-Astronaut. Wasn't Barry Corbin actually in the Astronaut Corps? I don't At know. One point, I think I he actually was, or maybe he was an air force pilot or something in reality. Uh let's see. I thought um, it was a nice cast.
1: Yeah, it was a good cast. It was a good '80s cast. I don't know. Oh, for and some... uh, Sheedy. I already mentioned her. You oh, did you that. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's fine. I, I don't know what she' been. She' been doing anything lately? Uh,
1: I don't know. I haven't a clue. I didn't study up.
2: She looks older than seventeen. Matthew Broderick sort of looks the age. I didn't look to see what actual ages these act these young actors were. So she looked, she looked older than a high school sophomore or senior, or, I mean, junior or senior. Yeah, Did I don't you know. Did you think? Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, most act- actors who play high schoolers are. That's usually the case. But
2: Broderick looked young, though he may not have been. He has a little bit of a boyish look to him.
1: All right, so let's get in the plot rundown. Computer game aficionado Matthew Broderick inadvertently taps into a hush-hush Pentagon computer, then proceeds to... Inaugurate his favorite game, Global Thermonuclear War. What we know, but Broderick doesn't, is that the Pentagon, hoping to eliminate the chancy human element in the event of an actual war, has given its computer total irreversible control over the launching of nuclear weaponry. Broderick and government official Dabney Coleman race against time to reverse the computer's resolve to send missiles to Russia. That's kind of it. So, uh... You know, yeah, I, I, guess. It's I, sort
2: of. I mean, it's, it's pretty simplistic overview yeah, simplistic. of it. I'm not really sure about the computer's motivations and why it takes its particular course of action. I'd like to discuss that at some point. The, but Broder, yeah, Broderick, uh, is, is he a computer? I guess he's like, I don't know if I call him an aficionado. He's just yeah, uh, Some kid that likes to mess around with computers in the early 80s. He's a pre-hacker. You know, you know, I didn't find I didn't find the representation of computers that bad in this movie i thought it was going to be worse than it was especially in hindsight after you know another 30 years under our belts since this movie came yeah Um, it
1: was okay i mean it didn't take any really bizarre liberties kind of like you would expect uh, hollywood to make now
2: you know i mean Uh, his home computer was you know a little simplified but i guess uh you know he had a he had a modem that seemed was accurate at the time though the data throughput was i think a little too high um but, he had, he by ran the way stuff off of five and a quarter flops, which was nice uh
1: by the way that uh that computer program that he had running that was dialing computers at random uh, it was, was working
2: through it was working through numerically uh,
1: that uh that whole yeah that whole scheme or that whole uh i guess uh, telemarketers used it, but uh, they called it war dialing which was uh, obviously a nod to the film War Games.
2: That, oh, was that, it? Okay. Yeah,
1: war dialing. And then uh, when people would cruise neighborhoods looking for open Wi-Fi ports, that's called war driving, which I didn't realize is a reference oh. to War Games in 1983.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I didn't know. It's interesting how these terms evolve over time. You know, I wonder, I mean— I guess it makes sense back then when uh, computer security was probably pretty lax, as we see the the uh, quaint passwords that are used to secure systems. By the a, way, <laughs> in this just, movie. An,
1: just an anecdote, I actually kicked a uh, Seattle police officer off my off an internet router I was using who was war driving. We, Why
2: uh, would you leave your internet router? open? Well,
1: we were renting a place. Or did he crack it? No, we were yeah, right. It could be Seattle cop. <laughs> Crack it uh, with his boot.
2: <laughs> yeah. You went up to your router and just stomped on it and said, Motherfucker, give me access. And he said, yes, sir. Right away, sir.
1: Oh, that leads me into another anecdote. Rose and I were in Victoria and out in front of the Empress Hotel, there's kind of these, you know, arts and crafts people selling their stuff on the street and there was a couple of native guys. Uh, carving little totem poles with, you know, with, with the carving knife. And I go, look, Rose, the native woodcarver's not getting shot by the cops. I was kind of, you I was should like, have
2: said it so those guys could hear it. I wonder if they find <laughs> it funny.
1: Just an FYI to our listeners, uh, yeah, there's a controversial cop shooting where uh, – some overzealous cop uh, shot some native got, native wood carver on the street because he was drunk and wandering around with a knife. But
2: uh,
1: obviously Well, you, wander,
2: you, you know, you wander around drunk with a knife downtown. You're sort of asking for trouble. I you are kind
1: of asking for it, but the footage made him look a little bit uh, innocuous, to say the least. There was no, yeah. It wasn't like he was crazy running look, at anybody.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not excusing all the troubles that Seattle Police Departments had. And so not any closer to being cleaned up, but uh, we are renting. Not too surprising.
1: Uh, we are renting a place short term. We had like a three month lease or something in between. Uh, after while, we were buying a house, and uh, there was like a there's like three units, and there was a router there that everybody could use, and they didn't secure it, which is kind of stupid. But I was like, whatever. It's not my not my internet connection.
2: Oh, oh, oh! I see. But did you do? How do you knock them off? You must have went in. Oh my Oh yeah. God, man. No, That's it was a felony. Links. That's accessing a computer a computer system without um <laughs> if you went into that Linksys router under its default password, I think that officially is a felony for a, unauthorized access of a computerized system. I'm not joking. Uh
1: yeah, well, okay. Just uh, say you
2: got the you got the permission of the uh, landlord to go in there and adjust uh, settings as necessary to optimize no, I the communities. Oh, man. Y- y- oh, man. Y- you heard it here first, you're Matt's going a down, felon. You're going, down a da- you're going down a dangerous road. I'm a fucking felon. <laughs> God damn it. All right. Anyway. You should change I looked- the SSID to like 911 as a joke. <laughs> nine nine's a joke in your town (laughs) that's right uh
1: anyway so i i got on the router and uh well because the cop car was like idling right now in front of our bedroom at two in the morning and i was like Mm -hmm. what the fuck it was like this low rumble really annoying and so i goes, there's some cop hanging out there and so i was like is he feeding off the open wi-fi and uh, i go on there and uh i find like a cop like uh what do you call him uh like know, a blog computer name or something some oh. kind of it looked i don't like know D
2: 7297
1: yeah something like that and i was like ah oh, fucking pig And i blow him off the router i do a oh. dhcp release on him and then like 10 seconds later he pulls away so you know, well
2: it'd be fun if you could just take his mac address and like point it so wherever he wants to go he always goes to uPorn. <laughs> on his computer, on the one in his car. Next, you know, some guy's getting blown, and the pedestrian That's walks by. Because right. <laughs> that was an official computer. I don't. Th- I don't. Th- I can't believe the police department. Well, they, that that, doesn't even, that hardly makes any sense because they must have had a wireless network. Then why would they put computers in cars if they're not connected? You know, maybe it was just limited to their own databases. And he well, was there's probably some,
1: out. you know, uh, Wi-Fi system at the at the cop shop where they you know do well,
2: up. Well, they and would they would shit, have like. You know, wireless data service. To each one of those cars, I'm sure. Anyways, whatever. Could have been it
1: four his four, private right? phone, but anyway, I fucked yeah. over the cop and he left, and I felt pretty good about it. So, anyway. Ah, but, that's uh, good. That's good. all right. So, what were you talking about? Uh, were you talking about the? the, oh, I, realism? Thought the computer, I
2: thought the computer hardware was was sort of neat. I mean, the Whopper was a little goofy. Looked like yeah. an old like uh, it looked like an old uh, power generator or something. An old, uh, <laughs> well, but uh, I, mean, I mean, his home computer was pretty nice. He had that little uh, Doctor Spatzo box. Which I thought was sort of neat.
1: Oh, the talking box.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they were cheap enough in '84. They probably were.
1: They had them back then. I thought that was just sort of a gimmick.
2: Well, they had. They, I think they had. Well, like uh, uh, what's his name? That one physicist had IBM make him that talking box way back in the '80s. Oh, and but it uh, was like quin- the size of a suitcase.
1: Coincidentally enough, they actually wanted to get Stephen Hawking for the role of Falcon but uh he was uh, hesitant because he believed that uh it would um i don't know uh, exploit his science well exploit his uh disability for entertainment purposes what? or something i don't know whatever and you know hawking went on to do like you know star trek and shit so. well, When
2: would mckitrick come up to him and said i know a gold bricker when i see one this motherfucker can walk <laughs>
1: Fucking dump them out onto the floor in NORAD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so uh, no, but that was yeah, that was the idea. Mm-hmm. But it sounds pretty good. It kind of sounds like Falcon a little bit, if you noticed. I don't know. At least it had that it's kind sort of cadence to it.
2: It sounds like Falcon. You mean the computer voice? Yeah, a little bit. I it just so. sounds like your standard Doctor Speitzo type stuff, if you remember, with your old sound blaster. Uh, I don't remember. Either. Oh no. You never, you never went down the Sound Blaster rabbit hole back in back in the 286, 386 days.
1: You're much more of a Matthew Broderick than I was back in the day. I, Me?
2: Uh, oh, I, not really. I mean. I, I had a Tandy 1000.
1: I had a Tandy 1000, and uh, I thought I was living high on the shit when I got a 20-meg hard drive. I thought, you know, I was like, oh, finally, I can, like, oh. store, like, you know. Uh, limitless word documents or word perfect documents (laughs) on my computer now great well
2: what you need is a vga graphics array so you could uh so you could get some uh get some porn on floppy disks
1: oh i remember old porn old vga porn. oh yeah Yeah.
2: low res but it had Uh, 256 colors so it was so your imagination could really run wild
1: yeah well it was better than scrambled playboy channel on cable
2: yeah, you could, the, the clitoris would be represented by one flesh colored pixel, <laughs> but that was all my, uh, that's all my mind needed. Oh,
1: TMI,
2: TMI.
1: <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, but I had a, let's see, I think I got my first computer in like, uh, I want to say 88, 89 and, uh, I played the first Mech Warrior. I had mm. a pirated copy on floppy, like actual oh, floppy, yeah. like the discs that flop. Not a. Did you P hole punch it
2: out so you could record on the other side? <laughs> <laughs> right, you know the old hole punch trick. No, so much C sixty four pirated software. Oh well, you, yeah, the, those single sided floppies were cheaper, but they were manufactured exactly the same. The only thing you need to do is put a hole punch on the other side, and it'd be double sided all of a sudden. Really? Wow! Yeah. Wow! You what record a hacking on both sides trick of the magnetic disk. Oh, I mean, everybody man.
1: did it. I I didn't. Like that's how naive I was. <laughs> so yeah, Tandy was my first, and I remember playing Mech Warrior on it. And uh, every like a minute or two minutes, I would have to load the new disc into RAM. You know, mm-hmm. when it would do something else or change scenes or something like that. And it was just achingly slow polygon graphics. But I thought it was the shit, man. I played that game to death back in the day. I <laughs> loved it.
2: This, they're still making Mech Warrior type games to this day. They're good. They're good
1: games. Solid games, you know. Yeah, they were fun. So.
2: I never really got into them. But uh, it was sort of fun because it was really the first-person first shooters, really.
1: So did you uh, have your uh, – when did you get your first
2: uh, phone modem? Oh God, I didn't. I didn't have a. Oh, do we have a modem at the house when I was still in high school? I don't know. If, I don't know if we ever did. I don't think I really started using networks at all until I uh, would use like ones in libraries. That's like we
1: used to. Uh, I mean, this is how old I am. In '91, there was no internet as we know it. There was uh, billboards or bulletin boards or whatever you want to call them. So you would. Oh no! No, '91
2: mosaic. You were using Mosaic, right? No. Barely,
1: no, dude. I didn't get that. That wasn't until, like, 93 that time. Oh, I, I did do a exact. couple
2: of dial-ins to b b s s So yeah. a
1: buddy of mine, when I was a freshman up at Western, we would uh, basically war-dial. What we would do is we would dial late at night 1-800 numbers, mm-hmm. just randomly, you know, just keep dialing. What we would do, just I think, what is what we would pick up. Yeah, we would do the thing that, like... Uh, like you were talking about dial like 1-800-DEAD-SEX or something like that. <laughs>
2: just make up the most obscene uh, eight hundred <laughs> number you can and see what's at the other end. Yeah, that was just and, by voice, though.
1: And then we would, uh, you know, when we got a modem, when we got a modem, we would dial into it with the computer and see what came up. Uh, and so I think I remember one, it was like a gay dating bulletin board or something like that. Mm. Uh, you know, one of those Randy hey, ones.
2: Hey, do you, do you still have that number? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, then the internet took over and, and uh, mo- modems went away. Well, actually, no, they didn't go away. You had to dial into AOL
2: to portals. And that yeah, 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 yeah. Copy, so. and all that bullshit.
1: So uh, we're getting a little away from the movie, I think. Yeah, well, all right, let's get but, let's get uh, back down
2: to it. What's uh, what's uh, what's first on the uh, agenda? Well,
1: okay, so he dials Seattle. in. He dials into a node of the NORAD system. In mm-hmm. Sunnyvale or something like a back door, and yeah. uh, there's no need apparently for login and password. It's all one, one and the same. You just
2: have to. Well, it seems like it's a system that was specifically set up to let uh, Falcon screw around if he needed to get in there and <laughs> yeah, get it, get back into the Whopper or telecommute it it. from home. Yeah, and I think it was just well, you know, when they go by the UW and they talk to those two uh, computer scientists. About, oh yeah, yeah. Well, one the idea of back doors get explained to you, right? Right. And yeah. they make an anal sex joke on well, top they of do. everything. Oh. Yeah, because Ali, she's them. there, and uh, the real nerdy guy goes, "We shouldn't be talking about back doors with a girl around." Oh, you know, maybe he was just saying it was secret computer stuff. I thought it was like an anal. <laughs> 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 I guess that goes where my mind went. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe it was a double joke. I think it may have been a double entendre to sneak in there to a peachy. You know Uh, they want to be secret about their computer programming techniques, but they also don't want to talk about ass play around a uh, a seventeen year old uh, girl. I don't. I think. (laughs) I think so. I'm pretty sure the screenwriter meant it. All right, let's roll
1: with that. that. Let's roll with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So uh, back to ass
2: play again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
1: So let's see. Um. One thing I wanted to point out, and Mm -hmm. uh, as as uh, people sort of deride. Defense spending. Uh, I want to make a, uh, you know, as a defense contractor myself, I want to make, you know, a little sympathy for the devil uh, play here. That uh, when people always go on about, you know, how many people, how many starving children could we feed with one ICBM? I remember hearing that rhetorical comment.
2: The question should be how many starving children can we stop needing to feed with one ICBM?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the better question. (laughs) That's a good idea. Oh, see, that's, we're, moving, that's, we're
2: moving both. We're moving both directions on that uh, on that one dimensional uh, uh,
1: scale. Oh, that's like uh, that's uh, as I say that that's a problem that just fixes itself or uh, two oh, birds with one like, stone.
2: Oh anyway. man! Oh my God! We're going to hell.
1: So when people go on about defense spending, I'm like, you know, everything you have, all the technology that you use, everything that you can conceivably think about in our modern world, was created by people trying to kill each other. And when you're talking about the Internet, what was the Internet created for, Mr. Hudson?
2: Uh, To troll other people on uh, Internet websites?
1: (laughs) (laughs) To ruin lives? uh, To bully? No. Uh, It was basically a dispersed computer network that could survive a nuclear war created by the Pentagon, so you would have
2: over-redundancy. But it was built on top of other areas of computer science as well. Correct. Networking Correct. and
1: Financed, though, its main uh, source of financing was
2: the Pentagon. Laying down it, the it, coax and all the electronics was funded by the uh, Pentagon.
1: Right. So, you know, if a chunk of Texas went away, then you could kind of uh, route around Mm -hmm. To uh, through other avenues of the web to or a decentralized
2: web, yeah, for redundancy purposes.
1: So, here it's kind of appropriate that uh, you know, there's a little bit more to war games than just kind of breaking into a computer system, it has to a little bit of history, I think. You know, uh,
2: well, I mean, what is, I mean, I'm not sure what direction you're exactly going with, other than you know. Defense spending can have some nice offshoots, like any sort of basic research. Well, it has, like,
1: every offshoot is, like, telecommunications, satellites, uh, your cell phone network, uh, radar, modern air travel. um, You know, everything is based on.
2: I I wonder, really, of of the rather sizable defense budget that the U.S. has, what percentage of that really goes to R&D type things? And how much of it goes to. Making a few more well, tanks that were designed in 1982.
1: It's an incredibly inefficient system. I would and say. And
2: making another goddamn couple of goddamn aircraft carriers, which would be destroyed in a few minutes if a hot war actually happened.
1: See, NASA is actually a better, more efficient. Uh, Avenue for uh, Investing in technology in this country But people don't like to write checks for it People only write checks for shit they're scared about And so it's easy to scare people About being overrun by the Chinese or Al-Qaeda You know, sniffing around your backyard Or back in the 80s When uh, the Soviets were going to Annihilate us completely with Thermonuclear weapons Which I remember the 80s I remember being shit scared Man, I thought, fuck, I thought we were all going to die in nuclear Armageddon. I don't know. Do you remember any of that?
2: Uh, I, you know, I, I guess I wasn't necessarily scared about it because I really wasn't uh, too worried about my own mortality during the 80s. Really? Well, I was oh, just a man. kid. I was terrified. Really I, watched... I was more worried about what was happening on all my children. And,
1: and I watched and, uh... all those uh, 80s uh, nuclear apocalypse movie. I have a list of them here. Uh, the day after, what was that one?
2: The what was that one project? where a lady could stop time with her mind? You remember that but one?
1: There was a TV doesn't...
2: movie where a lady could stop time with her mind by saying "shut up." And I remember <laughs> there was one scene where a nuclear war is happening, and she she stops time, and she goes out her front door, and there is a uh, a fool intercontinental ballistic missile coming down at her city with the whole launch stage and everything. It's just sitting in the middle of the sky. Oh,
1: it's not the warhead, like separated yeah, it's not, it's out of its, of its main. it's not like the head.
2: It's like the whole goddamn launch vehicle, like pointed down at 45 degrees coming. Like, I remember a kid going, Jesus, I don't know a whole lot about I intercontinental ballistic missiles, but I'm pretty sure that's not what it looks <laughs> like when it comes to hit your town.
1: It doesn't need more fuel, you know, when it's yeah. coming through the it's atmosphere. Still burn,
2: it's still doing a full burn on the way down. It just needs a little yeah. more speed. Fuck man, it just needs to
1: hit hard. It was
2: some force. I think that it was a Twilight Zone episode.
1: I think that oh, was, was a it? New Twilight uh, Zone. Yeah, cuz I remember that uh, too.
2: I just remember it on TV. I just remember shaking my head and I was a fucking kid. You know, uh, I went through a period where I really loved <laughs> weapons of war. I thought they were pretty sweet like when I was a young adolescent. I mean, well, they're pretty I still cool. Do. I don't know about you, man. I love, uh, shit. I, just, I, love shit I can't, that blows shit I, can't up. I can't get the dismembered and burned people's images out of my head when I think about uh What? Uh, I think about weapons of war and Armor-piercing rounds and such, such and such. You big softy. Yeah. I'm getting soft as I get older. What can I say?
1: Uh, anyway, so I guess a little bit of uh, historical context, loose historical context here surrounding
2: war games. Well, but- I mean, and there's, and there's the whole idea of, of uh, the whole point of the Cold War and the nuclear arsenals. That is, I guess, an important aspect of this film.
1: We're talking about MAD, as they call it, Mutual MAD. Assured Destruction, which mm-hmm. was uh, the theory, and I think actually Carl Sagan promoted this, or he theorized uh, the whole nuclear winter uh, scenario, where if you blew up enough shit in the atmosphere, you would stir up basically a dust cloud that would envelop the earth and then shroud the earth from sunlight. which would then Well, that,
2: that was really sort of secondary to actual MAD. Mad well, was really about the governments knowing that they would be basically disrupted to the point that no government, no functioning either functioning nation states would not no longer exist if they got into a shooting war. Correct. Yeah. So the idea well, is that you're both you both assumed to be you both you're both guaranteed basically in stone that you're both gonna basically your nation's gonna stop existing if you guys get in a shooting war.
1: It's interesting because now. Uh, a nuclear arsenal is viewed as a deterrent because nobody, I guess, assumes in their right mind that a nuclear bomb would actually be used uh, strategically or tactically. Even though back in the day, uh, back in like the 50s, that was the actual idea idea behind nuclear weapons. You would use them in a tactical as a complement to conventional war, which seems bizarre, but that was the idea. Well, I
2: mean, once you had... What they call second strike capability, that whole thing gets thrown out of the window because you're assured of ex- escalation to full-scale right. war if you, right. if you ever launch any of them. I mean, right now, I mean, it still sort of makes sense with some of these sort of minor players. But if you talk like about the big five, they're, we're still in a mad situation. More or less, right? Well, and there's a Russia, lot of people. You got the Britain, you got France, you got Israel, and you got. I guess you got China too. So it's six.
1: There's It's weird because there's still a lot of people, a lot of I guess smart sort of political thinkers who actually believe that nuclear weapon proliferation is as bad of a problem as it was back in the '80s, which is strange because uh, it never makes the news. And uh, I think even. Recently, post-Soviet Russia, there was some kind of glitch that almost uh, caused an incident between Russia and the United States, and I forget the incident. Oh, yeah, there's the, a
2: famous guy that uh, decided to ignore the, lynch, the, the, uh, the glitch on his own, correct. On his own logic. Yeah, it
1: came down to one dude or something Yeah, because like
2: that. It, it was the situation where the idea that you have a decentralized strike uh, protocol where if shit really goes to hell, the individual like ICBM systems can launch independently.
1: Right. So, which isn't the case here with the uh, Whopper and uh, War Games. No. They uh, mm-hmm. decide to make a little uh, Skynet Junior. That would yeah. They'd uh, have
2: to have some Whopper Juniors distributed <laughs> Whopper throughout Juniors.
1: the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Whopper <laughs> Juniors with humans in the loop and that whole good thing. <laughs> but uh,
2: you know, I thought that first scene
1: was interesting in War Games, where you had the silo. Yeah. They spent uh, some
2: time with it. I mean, that whole first scene before you ever see Matthew Broderick playing galaxa Is that what he's playing? Uh,
1: yeah, Galaxia, which he actually had to practice. They delivered a Galaga, I think Galaga or Galaxia to his home. I don't forget
2: how it's pronounced.
1: And he had to like practice to get good at it. Oh, I don't know uh, why. So they could, Couldn't get like uh, a video game stunt double for that scene or something.
2: Yeah, it seems um, like you could. I mean, just doing over the shoulder with the hands, you'd never know the difference. Yeah, but, oh, but uh, I guess anyway. it's good work if you can get it. Yeah.
1: So uh, anyway, uh, what were we talking about?
2: I'm talking well, I'm just saying that first part of the film where they have the uh, the, the the trial run at the missile silo to see about. What the oh yeah, yeah. Rights. I liked that. And then that they, was a and good scene. They, and then they go to uh, NORAD headquarters in, uh whatever that mountain is. I forget the name of that
1: mountain. Cheyenne Mountain, which yeah. they uh, call actually it Crystal isn't... Mountain. No, it's they call it Cheyenne Mountain. In
2: the move, I mean, the movie, they call it Crystal Mountain. For somebody. are you
1: sure? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, sure it was Cheyenne. Well, I've been past the real Cheyenne Mountain, and it's mm-hmm. quite a uh, massif of rock. It's outside mm-hmm. of Colorado Springs, and uh, you know it because you see it. And there's this is gigantic, uh, weird, rocky mountain, and on top is just a afro of antennas and microwave <laughs> towers. It's crazy. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, but I heard that uh, Cheyenne Mountain got mothballed some time ago.
1: Really? Are yeah, you sure? They mothballed it. Yeah. Where
2: would they move NORAD? I think maybe they decentralized NORAD, because uh, I think that okay. maybe weapons could probably blow it up if it's under the mountain or not any longer. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure they closed it down. They just film the- like uh, they film like uh, the uh, Stargate SG1. They do all those exterior shots like crazy. Oh God, that show.
1: Man, I, I can't get into uh, sci-fi drama. I got into Battlestar Galactica, the new one, but that was it.
2: Well, I mean, I can't be do. unemployed for a few months, and you'll find you got all sorts of time on your hands. That's how I caught up oh. with the entire SG-1 series. All right. All right. Bring sequestration
1: on, friends. I can uh, get caught up <laughs> on all the shitty sci-fi stuff. Anyway, uh, the act- where it was filmed, though, in the movie was... Um, it was the, well, at least the, the outside of Cheyenne mountain was actually filmed up in new Halem, Washington, which if you've been by there on highway 20, it's up, uh, near Mount Vernon. Oh, where you actually, mean
2: the exterior entry area was not actually Cheyenne mountain? No, it was, was new Halem. Here? So where, where they had everybody driving in, that was not the actual Cheyenne no. mountain. No. Oh, maybe that's what they used in uh, cause it looks exactly like the, it must be a set that everybody uses. Because that's the exact same set they used in Stargate SG-1. <laughs> it
1: probably is, because that it was filmed up in Vancouver. I guess I, never,
2: I, guess I yeah. never realized it all that time. Well, that makes oh. sense. I wonder if that's why they set it in Seattle and they have the Oregon yeah, yeah. Uh, business. Because I, I did, enjoyed the Seattle setting. It was did, really you, fun. did
1: you notice what high school uh, Matthew Broderick was attending?
2: You know, I wasn't sure what high school that was.
1: What was it? a high school, home of the Panthers, baby. What? That was the yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I did not it said, recognize it. Well, no, it's not actually Snohomish High School. I think the exterior was uh, El Segunda High School, high school uh, in 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 L.A., but oh, okay. it actually says above it, strangely, uh, Snohomish High School. When he's running in,
2: really, so he lives in Snohomish, even though they say he lives in Seattle, because he's busting around Seattle a yeah, little bit. No, it's I mean, supposed you to have be the Seattle exterior shot, and then uh, when he goes to visit the computer scientist, he's outside of. Uh, well, One of the, bio- the biological sciences buildings. It actually is near where I work.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that, uh, no. I don't know why it just said Snohomish High School uh, above I, it. I,
2: I did not see that. That's weird. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Mark huh. and I both uh, alums of, uh, I guess, the uh, famous Snohomish High School. There, Go Panthers! Games. Also, our high school featured in David Lynch's Firewalk with Me. Actually, yeah, uh, they had quite the quite
2: best, best sex scene in B Hall B or whatever the hell that. I think they it's hot. It yeah, that was some hot. Uh, yeah. Oh, that reminds me of some crazy times in high school. Oh, oh me too. Man. Don't
1: get me started. It's like porkies come heavy. to life. I don't know. We <laughs> were living the dream there. What the hell oh, happened? Boy,
2: just right. one, one hot high school romance after another. It was all oh, guys, but. Yeah. <laughs> it was a boys' high school. No, all, yeah. right. <laughs> all right. Lady boys' so, high school.
1: Uh, yeah anyway but uh, yeah so uh, a little local flair here for uh war games and uh uh-huh.
2: yeah I enjoyed, I enjoyed the setting i thought i thought it was sort of nice um uh, so but see. we were talking
1: about like uh the whopper and having computers run our nuclear arsenal as being mm-hmm. uh not the well i mean it's, all, it's like
2: already it computerized anyways right you just put you just put some uh you just logged the computer out for certain tasks and put a human in there, sort of like human fail-safes.
1: Well, it's interesting because you have the scene with the two operators in the silo there. And mm. part of, uh, I guess, a nuclear launch is that, si- they call it a coincidence circuit they have with the keys. Do you remember that? Yeah, so that? Who,
2: it was Mr. Mister Purple. Who was the guy there in the silo? Mr. Purple. What are you talking I, about? One of the silo operators was... Uh, uh, Reservoir the, Dogs? That's in Reservoir Dogs, I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, I, didn't I don't know. That. Let's drop that then. Okay, yeah.
1: Anyway, so they're sitting there with the the launch keys, and then they go to, like, stage, you know, to set it up and, and, you know, to prime the rocket or whatever. And then there's the launch, and the one guy's hesitating. But it's interesting because I read somewhere, you know, that that key, you do that simultaneous key switch thing. Mm -hmm. Some guy, I don't know, he's like – some security expert or something hired by the Pentagon went in to assess uh, those nuclear launch you know the safety of those nuclear launch silos and stuff was able to actually defeat that whole thing with a piece of string so, oh. <laughs> so what he did is he t- he put a little lever arm on one of the on, on both of the keys uh-huh. and then he tied a taut string in between, between the, both of them and uh-huh. then when he turned one it pulled the other over at the same time.
2: Yeah, and, and just then, with a pole, you could go around corners and yep, yep. down <laughs> hallways
1: and everything. So that whole idea didn't really well, work out. I think you know, with 50.
2: security, it's, it's, it's all about roadblocks. Security now they can have, mostly always be defeated.
1: Now they have it so two guys have to pee on an electric fence at the same time, and then that'll trigger the bond. That'll trigger Really? The bond. Yeah. Oh, man. So they inventive. have to
2: constantly keep their, uh, Where well, they just have a limitless supply of brewskis? <laughs> Boys, you need to stay intoxicated and have full bladders at all times.
1: That's right. Yeah, no, I have to pee on pee on a, in, an electric fence that runs around the inside of the control room, and uh, oh, at the same time.
2: And, and at the same time, there's got to yeah. be a way to defeat that. Maybe with some sort of uh, rubber tubing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And like uh, maybe in like a Y splitter. <laughs> I don't know, Matt. I think there's some holes in that one too. Uh,
1: it, it's interesting the whole nuclear silo thing because uh, we've been what do we what do we call it when we disarming or uh, d- uh you know
2: decommissioning
1: d- decommissioning all these silos is that you can actually purchase them uh, and people do and oh, uh, yeah. live in them which would seem like the most depressing place at all ever to live in but uh for whatever reason people get sort of uh hung up with old uh cold war relics and wanna
2: i mean if let's just say you had a hundred million dollars you might throw 10 million at uh, renovating one of those
1: Really, I would want yeah. a window. I would want a window. The, you for call it the telno. sin silo. The sin silo. <laughs> uh, I, I had sand a, a carpeting, friend.
2: Floor, ceiling.
1: My friend, uh, Mike, Big Mike. Remember Big Mike from high school? His oh, buddy, yeah. I, his buddy, Ira. I think they uh, they bought a or bought a silo out in Eastern Washington for scrap, and so oh, they were uh, just
2: going to tear out all the steel.
1: Yeah, but I guess it was pretty cool because, you know, the control room was all on those uh, isolated springs. So they would build, you know, all the, for the that room that we see there at the beginning where they're all sitting there ready to launch the ICBM. That's all on like a, I guess, a shock-resistant platform. So Mm. if you get a near hit that, you know, it wouldn't ruin all the hardware inside of it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's sort of interesting thinking that you have these little I mean, those things go into space, right? Those ICBMs, they're actually yeah. space vehicles. Just uh, you're able to launch them like all these little spaceports dotted around the country. It's sort of interesting that we had that capability at one time. Well,
2: you know, I wonder, if we did all this work and we had like literally, well, how many, hundreds of these rockets primed and ready Thousands. to go at all times? Thousands. Thousands. Why is SpaceX still spending a lot of time re-engineering rockets? Did we not figure this out?
1: Fucking thought we would have, man. I How guess they're ICBMs,
2: so they're not for orbital insertion. So maybe that makes them simpler to to make, right? Because you don't. No, it's, a, you no, don't have it's to just a s- matter
1: of velocity. It's all you don't need
2: as much delta v. Well, I mean, it's always a matter of velocity. That's the difference between a a little gas powered, you know, four foot tall rocket you launch out in the desert for fun, and going to the moon.
1: True. Yeah. No, it's it's a, it's a bigger deal. But you're you're talking about like at least suborbital flight, which is pretty. You know, pretty extensive. That's uh, mm-hmm. you know, getting something from here to Russia in a matter of minutes. You know, that, Wait, that's I'm no just still feet. wondering
2: why are we still engineering this? I saw, uh, you know, the guy who uh, worked for uh, ID Games, Carmack, runs a little organization that's developing a, a rocket for Leo orbit insertion. And okay. they had a test flight of a uh, like the first stage of one of their rocket systems they're working on. Why are they? Why are they? Re, why are we reengineering the wheel over and over again? Because, Is all this design, complicated, well, classified or
1: something. No, it's just, it's just, it's just really complicated. It may be highly proprietary technology as well, but uh, it's hard, man. Are these get, rocket
2: to, motors all owned by all the engineering specs owned by companies? That get, uh, it's, Have you ever seen a rocket motor?
1: I mean, I know it's like got hoses close.
2: going up the yin yang. It doesn't make any sense.
1: I was. It looks in, so
2: complicated uh, that you can't imagine this thing can handle those sort of uh forces while it's going up in the air there's so many hoses
1: it's crazy the museum of flight down here in seattle and they have a rocket motor from something i forget but you're looking at it and you're just like it's like a fucking maze of Mm -hmm. uh hoses and pumps and uh, mixers and i was like why is this thing so complicated you know i i i don't get it why i mean it, it it's just bizarre how complicated same with jet engines you know, they're yeah. bizarrely complicated, and I guess it just all those systems working in tandem in such a violent environment is just I don't know it's hard. I watched <laughs> hard. the
2: uh, SpaceX launch. They had uh, they it's rocket this- science, launch. man. They, they have to be uh, rocket scientists. <laughs> it is. I guess there's a reason why they say everything else is not <laughs> rocket science. That's but, right. Uh, it's fucking hard. They had the SpaceX launch on the. They had a live feed on the internet. Uh, I think Thursday morning. Like uh, it was like oh, a. 7 a.m. or something, so I watched it before I head off to work. And it was pretty cool. They had a shot uh, right outside the uh, second stage bell. So when the first stage uh, ejected, they had a shot of the actual bell uh, as okay. it lit. And it just started glowing bright red almost instantaneously. Sure. It was really oh, yeah. neat.
1: Yeah, that stuff. Uh, a lot of horsepower there. And you plus, know, so. you
2: know, you're sitting up there really high in the atmosphere. It's probably hard to get rid of heat because you can't get rid of it by uh, conduction. got right.
1: So I have to be a rocket scientist to do that. I guess. Anyway, Anything. so I guess that's why we're reinventing the wheel. It's hard, you know. Yeah. I mean, why, you know, it's it's. Uh, why are we still with the internal combustion engine? Why can't we move on to something a little bit more efficient?
2: You know. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't know. So I wanted to talk a little bit. There's a great scene there at Falcon's house, where uh, he's obsessed with dinosaurs.
2: Oh yeah, you know, I didn't grab that drop. That would have been a pretty good drop.
1: He talks about, uh, you know, nuclear war brought up. This is before uh, climate change really got uh, a foothold, in, I guess the um, I wouldn't say pop culture, but in in modern, it was a pretty esoteric.
2: I mean, back then they were still worried about the cold, the ice. Yeah, they age were
1: worried probably. about global cooling and, because it's uh, a new ice. Age. The
2: Earth is really in a cooling stage right now. We're sort of pushing it out of that. But really, it's the we're, only so thing kind sort of in a
1: keeping a lid on it.
2: I think yeah, we're what we're what in an say. ice age mode right now, I guess, supposedly, the earth is. Yeah. So he brings
1: up the uh the let's see what extinction event. I'm obsessed with extinction well,
2: he's extinction events. He's talking about events. the big tri or I forget the big no, he's not. extinction.
1: He's talking about the Cretaceous Paleogene uh pale- Paleogene extinction event which was uh, 65 million years ago. Yeah, that's the and dinosaur one. Right, which killed 75% of animals and plants and I think that was uh, the most recent dinosaurs. big
2: extinction event, yeah.
1: Uh, we're in one now. We're in the post-Holocene well, we extinction event, right, which yeah. is, uh, it started with the big uh, cull of North American megafauna and then has now gone on to basically anthropomorphic, Extinction through us, basically. And we'll continue that way.
2: And with robots.
1: But that's. And with robots or bacteria, depending.
2: (laughs) Robotic bacteria.
1: But that's not the biggest extinction event. Everybody thinks like the dinosaurs was the biggest extinction event. The biggest extinction event was the. Here we go. Permian Triassic extinction event, or the Great Dying, which occurred about 250 million years ago. And that killed up to 96% of all marine species and 70% of all terrestrial vertebrates. And strangely,
2: were they thinking that was caused by a huge volcanic event? Well, and that's the thing that kind of
1: ties in most extinction events, except for the the KT or the Cretaceous Paleogene, which was the dinosaurs, into the whole climate change argument. And this is basically why I'm such a doomsday, is because I'm obsessed with, uh, uh, I guess, uh, paleontological extinction events, or there's been five in earth's history yeah. and uh so but the great dying uh, they believe was caused from like you said volcanoes or a outgassing of carbon dioxide from from uh siberia there's things called basalt provinces i don't know are you familiar with that term
2: is that like eastern washington
1: correct so it was a big huge They're lava
2: flows basically
1: that release a ton of carbon dioxide and, like, very— and so there's a huge one in Siberia as well. So there's these gigantic volcanic events, and that's basically why Venus is a furnace because it's just all basalt province. So it just, you know, released a huge ton of carbon dioxide.
2: That's interesting. I wonder if it's uh, because of uh, tidal forces. Is that why?
1: It's, I think it's just volcanic, actively volcanic, okay. or it was. Still,
2: the planet's just hot enough. That's still really hot. Right. Or just, so well, you know, the thing with CO2 is, I mean, there's a reason there's not a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere, because it, it all got fixed into uh, sugars. I mean, it all got fixed into right. carbohydrates a long time ago, back when the all the oxygen got spewed out.
1: Correct. So you had all these photosynthetic uh, convert, or trapping of CO2 that we're now releasing through burning of those old fossil fuels from way back. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, 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 the dinosaur extinction or the Cretaceous KT extinction was 66 million years ago. And they believe that was an asteroid event which shut down photosynthesis and uh, from there on basically killed the whole uh, food chain at that point. Yeah. But uh, these other extinctions are actually more interesting because I think they're more appropriate now than uh, ever but they're the carbon dioxide uh i give the greenhouse effect extinctions that they believe well, were what, caused. The,
2: what was the atmospheric uh concentration at these extinction i mean they must have some pretty good data on how high co2 concentrations got
1: they're higher than they were now uh but it happened much more slowly and so oh, what yeah. we're doing now is we're shocking the system so to yeah. speak so uh I think it's like right now is the point, like in the movies, where you know, you see a guy and he gets shot through the chest, mm-hmm. but and he's sort of walking around and he doesn't realize he's been shot. And then about 30 seconds later, he falls over into a pool of his own blood. Well, and he looks so, at his
2: chest and goes, What's this? It's like, Oh my God.
1: So I think we're right at this. What's this part of that yeah. whole like, what, extinction what, event? What, yeah. So there's a, uh, uh, He's a paleontologist at the uh, University of Washington, coincidentally enough there, just like a, those computer geeks in war games. Peter Ward, Ph.D., he's a paleontologist at the uh, University of Washington, and he wrote a great book called The Under a Green Sky and Global Warming, the Mass Extinction of the Past and What They Can Tell Us About Our Future. And he has a paragraph here, and if you'll allow me to read it, this is how I believe the world will end. And okay, go uh, ahead. First, the world warms over short intervals of time because of a sudden increase of carbon dioxide and methane, caused initially by the formation of vast volcanic provinces called flood basalts. The warmer world affects the ocean circulation systems and disrupts the position of the conveyor currents. Bottom waters begin to have warm low oxygen water dumped into them. Warming continues and the decrease of equator to pole temperature differences reduce ocean winds and surface currents to a near standstill. Mixing of oxygen oxygenated surface waters with the deeper and volumetrically increasing low oxygen bottom waters decreases causing ever shallower water to change from oxygenated to anoxic. Finally, the bottom water is at a depth where light can penetrate, and the combination of low oxygen and light allows green sulfur bacteria to expand in numbers and fill low oxygen shallows. They live amid other bacteria that produce toxic amounts of hydrogen sulfide, and the flux of this gas into the atmosphere is is as much as 2,000 times what it is today. The gas rises into the high atmosphere where it breaks down the ozone layer and the subsequent increase in ultraviolet radiation from the sun kills much of the photosynthetic green plant phytoplankton. On its way up into the sky, the hydrogen sulfide also kills some plants and animal life. And just about done. And the combination of high heat and hydrogen sulfide creates a mass extinction on land. These are greenhouse extinctions. So, sorry. But that... I no, just- no. I
2: mean, uh, this is... we. You talked about this a few years ago. It was... Uh- Sort of the basis for your setting for your novel before I did. I wrote a moment. whole
1: novel in uh, it, that took place in, uh, I guess, the last gasp of humanity in a greenhouse extinction, which mm-hmm. uh, I'm just forever fascinated with and horrified by. But uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, I, 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 that's how I think the world's going to end, personally. But uh, back in the '80s, people thought it was going to end in nuclear winter, and sort of a
2: well, look, you know, man, it could still end in nuclear winter. <sighs>
1: There is you hope. know, if
2: if anything, that actually might be the best solution to our climate problem. <laughs> people have people have. Uh, uh, so, which is really those... a better outcome? You know, uh, this uh, hydrogen sulfide mediated event, or a nuclear winter that uh, stops humanity from pre- off-gassing so much carbon dioxide.
1: Well, it would definitely get rid of humanity, which seems to be the big problem in all this. Well,
2: I mean, so I'm saying which one would be best for humanity. I don't, think, I don't uh, think either of them lead to the extinction of humanity, but um, I wonder which one is causes the least suffering.
1: It's a bit of a Sophie's Choice of ex- extinction events that you're playing but out there. But
2: they, they're, they're, they're not, they're, if you do the calculations, they're probably not equal. I'm, I'm just saying, is there some masterminds going, i got to do what's best for humanity. And so we would actually Blow, the f- blow, it, blow more, it the fuck up. Because in the end, it's better for everybody.
1: Wow, only a Falcon could have had that kind of insight. He would have uh, made Joshua uh impenetrable to any kind of logic and just had him go ahead and launch the missiles you know yeah, I mean I guess idea. Falcon
2: quits because he's certain there's going to be a nuclear war. is that right he quits
1: he will he may have be one of these like Manhattan scientists, Manhattan project scientists who get like a conscious we oh, got guilt you know, what have I wrought upon the earth, yeah. yeah, and uh you know pulls back from it, which is kind of. Stupid and hypocritical, but uh, you know, I kind of like the Feynman attitude—more indifference. That? Uh,
2: let's go to the strip club and see some tits.
1: Well, there's that too, but no, it's more like uh, this is an excuse to do something awesome, and I'm not, and it's not for me to uh, wait. I'm not going to worry about the details. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fine.
2: It's fine with me. I mean, uh, there's some things you can worry about, and some things maybe you shouldn't. Uh, but, when um, he.
1: When they launched or when they detonated Trinity, Feynman was like up on the hood of his car with like bongo drums, just going ape shit. He was just digging it. He was so into it.
2: That guy's that guy's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> Speaking about Falcon, here's a here's a drop. I think you'll enjoy. All right, drop it.
1: That's him. Wow, he's amazing looking.
2: So let's talk about <laughs> how incredibly drop dead gorgeous Falcon is in the well, fact that Ali Sheedy's panties got all wet. Just look at it. Ooh, him. man! To get
1: Ali Sheedy's panties wet—that's a. Uh, well, um, actually, well, was they, just, there was some was mention. Just a that really
2: th- stupid line. It cracked me up when I yeah, saw I it.
1: They're going to try to get uh, John Lennon to play Falcon too. I don't know what they're bouncing around Falcons for, but uh, I read somewhere that
2: uh, I think they were a little late on the old Lennon thing, right?
1: Yeah, about four years, <laughs> five years.
2: But um, <laughs> I, it's just a weird line. I mean, I think about I think about that line from Ali Sheedy, and there's some bad. Some bad dialogue in this movie. I think
1: Yeah, there's there some is.
2: interactions between our two principals, Sheedy and uh, uh, the murderer Matthew Broderick. <laughs> and, uh,
1: well, you, can, you get it. Well, uh, we've already explained that in previous podcasts. But,
2: yeah, uh, and the fact that he may not have been drunk, I think I should uh, probably say that during the. Uh, the which event, doesn't make which him a murderer, really. Strangely? No, it right. just makes him a manslaughterer. The manslaughterer <laughs> <of> Matthew Broderick. <laughs> the manslaughter Matthew Broderick. And Ali Sheedy have some pretty bad. Um, uh, dialogue between the two of them, but of course they're teenagers, so uh, that's part that comes part and parcel with being a teenager.
1: I'm glad they made out because I was thinking that David, played by Matthew Broderick, was uh, possibly gay in the in the film. He was a little bit uh, disinterested.
2: Oh well, I think he was just a little bit of an introvert, and uh, you know, a lot of times you get a girl in your bedroom when you're younger, you're not really sure what to do with her. So sometimes yeah. the best, the, the most appropriate course action is take no action. <laughs> just uh, so there's no there's no mistakes being made.
1: Mistakes, yeah, all kinds of mistakes. True, right? Um, no, I'm with you.
2: So yeah, that was a little weird. I don't think Falcon. I, I just I just cannot quite get my head around that. Why did the screenwriter want Ali she Jennifer to be infatuated with Falcon?
1: Um, uh, that I I think you're reading too much into that. That's I just a that really just weird a, line. Just a throwaway uh,
2: because this movie's a little overlong. They really could have cut it. Yeah, out it's an
1: hour and hours. fifty minutes. It could have been an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could yeah, have been an hour so. and
2: a half. I think it would be better because of that.
1: So the message, I think, was that yeah, let's nuclear don't nuclear war is bad because we'll all die. That's kind of all I got out of it. I mean,
2: uh, uh, well, uh, I mean, I like, the, I like the idea of the idea of emerging in uh, intelligence. I mean, people were first starting to get their the idea of AI was reaching the popular culture. And I think this sort of I mean, I guess you had uh, two thousand one so maybe it's been in the popular culture for a good fifteen years.
1: Um, this time,
2: the idea of intelligent. And this one's, I guess, it's supposed to be a little more rooted in the ability. Well, of the time. I it's think that the, the, the source
1: material was a little bit more fixated with uh, game theory, which is a whole. Yeah. I guess uh, computer science psychological uh, so endeavor. So let me let me study. pay a
2: drop that t- basically explains how uh, machine learning works. Okay
1: come on. learn god damn it <laughs>
2: yeah, so you, gotta, it you gotta get the computer to do something over and over again and then tell it to learn god damn it and then it learns
1: uh, uh, not as easy as that I actually did a little AI stuff in grad school and neural networks and uh, yeah you don't get it to sort of it doesn't figure out the point <laughs> I guess <laughs> it doesn't like uh, it doesn't uh, assume futility it doesn't Assume futility and then stop. That's kind of uh, computers don't do that. They can go into a loop, which kind of seemed like he was what they were trying to do there is consume resources on the tic tac toe to uh, slow down or inhibit the global yeah. thermonuclear war uh, scenario. You know, which
2: yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But um,
2: but I, I like I like the Whopper computer. I mean, the computer's been told to figure out how to win these games. Right, and yeah. so what it does, it has got this tough nut to crack. This thermonuclear war is really tough to win. It figures out after thinking about it for a few years, and um, but it's got to play anyways, and it, it keeps noticing that nobody seems to actually want to play the game for real. Is is my take on it? The computer notices that uh, he's like, if I actually um, want to win this game, I'm going to have to play it for real. So it figures a workaround. I mean, that's what happens in the movie. The computer goes, I got to get certain settings like i I gotta get people to announce defcon one so certain circuits are enabled that allow me to brute force the launch codes right that is it takes the game to another level it goes this game must be played and everybody's stopping me from playing this game but i want to play it so it figures it sort of figures out a workaround
1: it's interesting because it goes through all the scenarios which i almost sort of thought of as uh chess gambits or chess defenses and there's, like, a whole list of them, and I got them right in front of me, and it just goes on and on. There's, like, Thai Variation, Northern Territorial, Polish Paramilitary, South African Offensive, Panama Misdirection, Scandinavian Domestic, Jordan Preemptive. And it just—these are, like, all the opening gambits for I thought that was uh, pretty cool. War. It is, because it's all, like, tied up in sort of, uh, you know, basically versions of the Cuban Missile Crisis that— uh, the computer is fleshed out as possibilities for first strike scenarios. Sort of yeah, that gave me
2: goosebump when uh, the computer decides to do an iterative process, which it had been doing, I guess, supposedly for 15 years. It seems like yeah. it would have figured out that the only way to win is to not play this It's almost
1: game. sort of like climate modeling codes now that are these gigantic computers with millions of variables that you put some initial conditions into, and then, uh, you know, they run and run like... Uh, Back to global climate change, you know. There's all kinds of global climate change predictions that are more or less the whoppers of today. That just sit there and you know have these gigantic finite element models just cranking away on. Well, they have
2: it, the, it gets in the popular uh, press every once in a while, like the big uh, uh, hurricane that hit the New England. There was some talk in the popular press about the different climate models, how the European model was is better. Accurate. Yeah, they were able to predict it with more accuracy like a week out. It's pretty impressive that uh, those systems can predict these storms that well.
1: Right. So, yeah, that's, you know, what you see here a little bit is is kind of the supercomputer. and Supercomputers are good for uh, large RAM memory problems with lots of iterative solve requirements. And and that's basically why they're used. Um, They're used for gigantic numerical models. Uh, and everything from physics on all avenues of physics I, I use them for what i do and uh yeah it's 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 kind of impressive because the bigger these computers get the bigger the problems become and like you said you can get something where you're able to predict a week out uh you know pretty accurate storm patterns that uh, you could never do 10 well i mean even five the people years ago. just
2: Taking what the computers are good at, which is are these floating point calculations, but my question is: the thing I like about this movie is it sort of moves away from that to more fanciful territory, where the computer, uh, our pre our pre our notions of what the game is are really sort of limited. The people around, how what they feel about the game, what the game is, is 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 uh, sort of uh, narrow minded, and the computer sees beyond that. It sees the larger part of the game where it uses its ability to instigate the war itself to play the game. which sure. I thought was interesting. It's sort of a Gordian knot situation where the computer finds a novel approach to the game that nobody else saw.
1: Uh, that you can actually, what uh, you can influence human beings to. Yeah. Provoke. it's
2: Yeah. So it can play. It wants to play and it uh, figures out, you know, another aspect, the idea of how do I get it started, which was never really part of the computer's purpose in well, the first place. It, was it, just ver-
1: it figures out a variable that it didn't know it was uh, had access to originally, and that's to call nobody, back.
2: Nobody else thought about it.
1: Correct. Yeah. 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 Well, they forgot about it—the backdoor thing. You know. So. Well, and
2: also, I thought the way it pl- it played the system to get the war started.
1: Correct. Yeah. So, so, should we get on to the Ebert?
2: Yeah, let's see what Ebert has to say. All right. <laughs> Uh, Ebert reviewed this movie back in 83. Uh, He gave it uh, four stars, so he really liked it. Though he doesn't go into a whole lot of detail in the review, I think because he wanted to leave some mystery in the movie. Yeah, I Um, guess there's not really
1: a lot. Anyway.
2: He does talk about computers and stuff, and um, he says uh, computers only do what they are programmed to do, and they will follow their programs to illogical conclusions. And then he gives a story about margins in his fucking... Uh, Yeah, no, it's computer. Ebert's only uh, only exposure to computers. Yeah, in the end, he says, I've outsmarted the SOB. I'm not sure he goes on about about that for a couple of paragraphs. (laughs) Uh, He says, sooner or later, one of these self-satisfied, sublimely confident thinking machines is going to blow us all off the face of the planet. Wow. That is the message of War Games, a scary but intelligent new thriller. And uh, he says, the movie stars... Wait, hold on.
1: What's... What's the message of War Games
2: again? <laughs> that sooner or later, one of these self satisfied, sublimely confident thinking machines is going to blow us all off the face of the planet.
1: Uh, I mean, okay. I guess. Yeah, sure. Uh,
2: he says the movie star is Matthew Broderick, the kid from Max Dugan Returns. I think we all remember that. Huh? Oh, that no, Max Dugan? I don't know. He's incorrigible. No. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on and on, blah, blah, blah. He talks about something. Oh, he the, speaks uh, computer
1: ease. He's really. Uh, he's. Yeah, Sorry, I'm interrupting your review. Go ahead.
2: That's okay. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, there's not too much to highlight here other than he likes the movie. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, War Games is directed by John Badham, which we didn't talk about. Best known for oh, Saturday Night mm. Fever and Blue Thunder. So yeah, was he good.
1: was replaced, actually, I think halfway through the movie or something. Oh, so. was he?
2: I didn't know yeah, that. Uh, and he gives a shout out to Dabney Coleman and uh, Barry Corbin as playing some uh, two dimensional characters that are fleshed out nicely. And I think that's right. They sort of, sort of, they're sort of hackneyed, but then, I don't know, I think the movie does a good sort, job of drawing them without spending they, too much time yeah,
1: on Yeah, they feel that, well, you know, uh, Barry Corbin plays that kind of character, n- yeah. military guy, I mean, Maurice from Northern Exposure, that's the yeah, character, the Reese. old astronaut, yeah, sort of that uh, American hubris, you know, that kind of, uh, I don't know, cowboy type of attitude, it's it's, it's sort of refreshing in this movie
2: yeah i think i think it's nice Well, he does he does his shtick and it it works really well Uh, he says and the ending a moment of blinding yet utterly elementary insight is wonderful and i like the ending quite a bit what the computer says at the end
1: uh Uh, shall we play a game of chess
2: no no he says uh a strange game the only way to win is not to play uh see that i mean people say it's hackneyed but i don't know it sort of makes nah. sense i mean that's a, that's the whole point of mad the only good outcome the only solution that any reasonable participant in a game of mad can have is to not to play well that's the that's... Whole point of mad that's the that's the entire point i know the point is but that's giving a, a game we've made a game where nobody wants to play it well and that's, that's the whole giving point.
1: a yeah, but that's giving a computer a conscience, which it doesn't have. I mean, no, the computer.
2: You know, the, the idea is the computer changes its definition of what it means to win, and it plays the game over and over again. It says, "I cannot meet this. I cannot meet this condition with this game, so I will not play it." Since uh, uh, I've, I'm in, when I start the game, I'm in a success mode, and when I end the game, I'm always in a failure mode. So let's just not play the games. So it leaves me in a success mode.
1: Well, I think think it's a nice insight.
2: It's insight. Everybody, that's the whole idea of Matt. Everybody has to have that insight. All the players have to realize that. That's the fucking point. Well, yeah, but to
1: me it's a lot more, I see a lot more uh, physical. I, I see a scorecard, and the scorecard is what? Uh, re- reduction of uh, casualties, reduction of collateral yeah, damage.
2: Yeah, mega, mega death counts. Remember those so, from the Cold War? Yeah, yeah. So well, I guess the whole uh, name of a band is surrounded by that. Well, then
1: it just determines what's acceptable casualties and yeah. collateral damage. And so if you have an acceptable casualty collateral damage of like 15%, like 50, if we have 15% of our country remaining, we've won. If they have 0%, we've won. Um, those are metrics that you have to incorporate into a computer program. Well, the
2: whole idea of MAD is that there there is the outcome is never acceptable. That's, that's the basis for it to exist in the first place, that your country will be totally disrupted and will not be well, an ongoing concern after the war. That's the basis of MAD. That's why there's bombers in the air and nuclear subs. In the fact, there's no way to game the system where you're still at least – marginally intact afterwards it's just not possible. well
1: see then it's the same as like if you were playing chess and the only acceptable outcome is for checkmate to occur uh with maybe one or two pawns uh, taken off the board which is almost impossible to do unless you're playing with a really weak player so i mean if that's the the, the kind of the the, the uh, how to quantify success and if that's the the global thermonuclear war uh definition of success yeah there's no way to play it but see that to me doesn't the computer doesn't that's that's sort of an epiphany a program that's, that's Even the epiphany a most the advanced program. Has, yeah, that's the point yeah that's it goes that, that, it,
2: it plays tic-tac-toe and it goes oh let's apply this you know this this uh this uh one or zero state outcome to the game thermonuclear war and see how we can do all
1: right well I mean, that's okay but, but
2: that's the basis of math i mean it sums it up that's the whole point i know
1: it i, I just i don't know if I if I buy the whole deuce ex machina, uh, literally, I, I don't I don't think that I mean that the a computer.
2: Oh, Man, it's a movie. It's fancy. It's fanciful. That's well, the whole point he, of the movie. I know,
1: but human beings have to program what's an acceptable loss scenario or win scenario. That's and the, whole the computer. Fucking,
2: that's the whole movie. The movie has an epiphany. It decides to redefine success on its own terms. It makes the but the thing is it redefines it how we all redefine it. It, it redefines it how the whole point of game theory be, behind Mad defines it.
1: I know that there, but there's no
2: outcome that has acceptable losses. It that's is, like if Falcon wrote a wasn't.
1: subroutine. That's like if Falcon wrote a subroutine into his into his code that uh, you know would kick out that epiphany. It would have to be pre 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 programmed. You couldn't oh. just uh, I'm not buying it. Sorry. But it's nice. It's a nice little morality tale. I'm I'm with it. You know? I, th- I, think, so. I
2: think this has been our main defining thing about this movie is that I think I'm more acceptable of flights of fancy
1: than you are. I think you are. I, I, yeah. I get I get I get hung up in the plausible and uh yeah. you know I, it's hard for me to uh, uh, which is stupid, because I love fantasy fiction, I love sci-fi, I love a lot and of that it's a stuff. Film. But, uh, and it's a film. But uh, I guess when it sort of defies its context, I get a little bit, uh, I don't know.
2: Well, you're worried about inconsistencies. And I'm just saying, it doesn't seem like the movie's inconsistency. It's inconsistent with reality, but it's not inconsistent within itself.
1: Okay. All right. No, it's a good movie. I loved it. I mean, this is great. You know, it's a classic. So mm-hmm. not to not to not to deride it at all. But
2: yeah. Well, I think you know. it's important that we have differences because that's that's where good pod comes from.
1: Good pod. Good mm-hmm. pod. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man.
2: Well, uh, what's our next mission? If we uh, should choose, choose to, to accept, accept it. it?
1: Uh, next week, we're going to do Pink Floyd's The Wall, starring uh, Sir Bob Geldof. No,
2: actually, no. Uh, Pink Pink Floyd Floyd, not in it at all.
1: They make not an appearance, and the vocals I believe are all done by Bob Geldof himself. So it's uh, music by Pink Floyd, I believe. Yeah, but no Pink Floyd. Uh, It's all. uh,
2: So should we uh, go see this at uh, your once prospective employer, the uh, Seattle Science Center Laser Light Show facility? uh, Is that still running? Holy I have no friend. idea if it's still running.
1: Wow. No. Laser Floyd is a stalwart of all uh, science centers <laughs> and laser shows. I don't think you can. Uh, I don't think. I don't know. I'm going to do some research and figure out the state of maybe we uh, should laser get together on
2: Wednesday and go down there, smoke a dube, and watch uh, <laughs> and watch Laser Floyd. Man, it would be pretty trippy.
1: Oh, wow! That is ancient history. I no i did that did you do that i did that That's, once yeah i did that once jesus yeah. i think man I, I went down i think with it's snow. a rite I think of passage i thought it was snow, snow. one time
2: snow. it was a long time anyway.
1: ago uh pink floyd the wall classic uh so we'll be uh we'll be reviewing that next week uh, until then
2: i don't have to take that you pig-eyed sack of shit